I'm Rob Marshall and you have tuned into episode eight, part B of Out on the Paddock. This episode packs a punch. It features an interview with a favourite son of WA country cricket. His journey started nearly 30 years ago in Bunbury and currently is seeing a flourishing first-class cricket career for Western Australia. He's also the toast of WA cricket right now, thanks to a man-of-the-match performance in the recent Sheffield Shield final played at the Wacker versus Victoria. A huge thanks to Sam Whiteman for joining us on this episode today, and I reckon you're going to absolutely love this one. Before we get into the interview with Sam, however, just want to call out that we're incredibly humbled to get some news in the past few weeks that this podcast has been fortunate enough to make it to the final two of the Cricket Australia Media and Initiative category of the National Community Cricket Awards for 2022. We've been narrowed down to the final two as a finalist and the winner will be announced nationally online in mid-May. Regardless of win, lose or draw, this is a phenomenal result in such a short time since we launched this podcast. We have thousands of listeners tuning in through the journey of WA Country Cricketers and the news coming out of WA Country Cricket all around the world now. A big thank you to all who have contributed to this show so far. And especially I just want to thank Nat Marshall, the sound producer, the man behind making this product such a great product. Thanks, Nat, for all you do. But also the support of Steve Phillippe, Andrew Hayes, the whole of the country cricket unit at the Wacker and WA Cricket as a whole, and all the guests and the interviewees who have been on this podcast so far. You have made it what it is. And along with the support of the WA Country Cricket Board, we are so thankful for all that you have done. But without you, the listener, none of this could happen. So thank you for tuning in to each episode of Out on the Paddock. The past seven episodes have been amazing and I think we're about to go to a whole new level here in episode eight. So let's get on with it. Let's do it. Here he is, the man of the moment, the man of the match, Sam Whiteman. Enjoy. It's really great to have everybody joining us on episode eight, part B of Out on the Paddock. If you haven't listened to part A, I'd recommend you go and do that. Some great, uh, great stories in there of some grand finals played around regional WA in the last couple of weeks and and the the month of March. So definitely uh, encourage you to go and have a listen to part A if you haven't already done so. But man, am I super, super excited because I've got uh, got a, a gentleman with me today who I don't think is going to take a lot of introduction to many of you. He's probably the toast of WA cricket right now. He's uh, just come off one of the most amazing matches that uh, we've seen in WA cricket or in Australian cricket for a while, certainly from a WA perspective. Sam Whiteman, welcome to Out on the Paddock. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, it's, uh, the pleasure's all mine. I'll give you the tip. We're uh, really thrilled that you've been willing to join us today on Out on the Paddock. So fresh, you know, it's a couple of weeks down the track or maybe a little bit more now. How, how are you you're still buzzing about uh, the win on the Wacker the other uh, recently? Yeah, it's um, it's a funny one. It's, uh, I don't, it probably still hasn't quite fully sunken in yet, but, um, oh, look, it's been, a, it's been a really good two or three weeks. Um, you know, as WA cricketers, we've strived to 
achieve that, um, you know, week in, week out for, you know, well, the past 23 years as a, as a state. So, you know, the fact that we're champions now, it's, uh, it's pretty special. It was certainly special for us that just get to, to sit and enjoy and for many of us who, who sat through, I guess, the era when WA was very dominant in the Shield and it's been a bit of a drought for quite a while now to finally get back on top. It, it was a good feeling as a spectator and as somebody watching him, but I can't even imagine how good it must have been for you guys. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned to you, just preamble before we jumped on, on this pod, you know, to, to know you were playing as well as Teague Wiley from Mandurah and Lance Morris from Busseldon. You know, there was a sense of pride, I think, out here in regional WA that uh, WA country cricket was playing its part in one of the, the major moments in history in cricket. So uh, what's your uh, perception of Teague so far from what you've seen? Uh, only a year ago, we was making a 50 at the Wacker in a WA country, uh, in a uh, country week grand final. And then next minute, he's playing in the Shield final. It's pretty amazing rise to the top, I suppose. Yeah, it happened pretty quickly from, from all our perspectives. You know, he's playing under-19s World Cup one week and then a couple of weeks later, he's, um, yeah, he's playing in the Shield final. Um, you know, first first thoughts, he's obviously a, um, he's a very good player and he's going to, um, you know, he's going to play a huge role for WA cricket and, you know, probably more over the next 20 years. Um, things that strike me is, you know, he's, so, he's super confident, um, which is, you know, pretty rare for a, a young kid coming in, especially coming into state cricket. Um, you know, he really backs his skills in and, um, oh, look, he's a, he's a good young man. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's been super impressive. He, he certainly is, and we, uh, like I say, we watched him play in a, a, a uh, final on the, on the Wacker for Country Week last year, that's 2021, and sharing a partnership with another young kid, I think, that might be coming through eventually, Corey Wosley, and with mm. something to watch, they put on over 100, and Corey ended up going on to make 150, so it was uh, pretty amazing to watch those two young men in action, and now to see one of them sharing in some, some spoils, and Lance Morris, obviously, a bit of a... I think they call him the wild thing or yeah. something. He's a bit, yeah. bit, bit, bit crazy, is he? Or uh, how, how, does, how does Lance stroke in the WA team? Lance is a good man. He um, The wild thing obviously comes just from his, his bowling. He, um, you know, he's horrible to face in the nets. Um, you know, <laughs> half the time he doesn't really know where they're going. But, he, you know, something he's, um, he's been in the squad for probably three years now and he's, um, he's pr- improved immensely over that time. Um, you know, when he first came into the squad, he was... He'd just steam in and um, try and knock your head off. And, and now his, his um, accuracy has gotten a lot better and uh, a lot more consistent. Um, and he's, he's a wicket taker, which in Shield cricket, um, you need blokes to take wickets. You need 20 wickets to win a Shield game. So, um, yeah. you know, he's, uh, he's, he's gold dust. Yeah, no, we're, like I say, a lot of pride for, I think, us guys sitting back in the country going, how good is this? So, yeah. Uh, Enough of Teague and, uh, and of Lance. Let's get into Sam Whiteman and uh, um, drill down a bit into to your journey. So something that some people might know, not, not many people perhaps, but some might know, and that is you weren't actually even born here in Australia, Sam. You're born in Yorkshire of all places, a place that I played a little bit of cricket in back in the day. But how long were you actually in England for before you moved out to Australia? Yeah, so born in Yorkshire and um, moved to Australia as a family when I was three. Yeah, right. so I think um, mum and dad came on a, a couple of holidays when I was, you know, one and uh, loved it and decided to make the move. Um, so, yeah, moved when I was three and moved uh, straight down to Bunbury. Yeah, yeah, so straight into Bunbury and that's when 
I certainly got to, to know the Whiteman name through your dad, not through you at that point, but uh, certainly Richard rocked up and next minute him and I were uh, enjoying playing a few country weeks together and, and uh, certainly was a fair cricketer himself, Rich. I've, I, the thing I loved most about your dad was he was just a good honest, fair cricketer. I bet he played hard and he loved his cricket. He was really passionate. So um, shout out to your dad. I hope he's listening in to his son's uh, podcast. And, <laughs> I'm, uh, sure I'm sure he will be. Sure he will be, yeah. And uh, looking forward to maybe catching up with him uh, soon if he comes over here. So what was the moment you sort of can remember? Can you remember a moment where you went, I think I like this cricket thing. Was it Dad's influence or was there other influences for you? Yeah, I'd have to say it'd be Dad's influence. Um, you know, I can't really remember too much, but I remember uh, and I'm told constantly by his mates that uh, I was always travelling around to his games on the Saturday and, um, you know, just looking for anyone to throw me some balls in the nets. Um, and, um, yeah, that's probably how it started. You know, it also started, like most Australians, in the backyard. Um, yep just getting dad to bowl me or throw me some and I don't think I ever had much interest in bowling. I think it was mainly batting. Um, and yeah, that's sort of how it started, yeah. I can verify those mates' comments because I think I mentioned to you the other day when we had a quick chat that I do well remember you tagging along with dad down to Harvey where I was playing for a game or two and uh, I think you caught my attention then. I think the main thing that caught my attention was you're a left-handed batsman like <laughs> me. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this, this kid's going to go all right if, if he's a lefty. Um, but um, was it... Colts that you first started playing a few games for in, in Bunbury, was it? I think I played um, my first year, I think when I was seven, I think I played one year for Marist. Ah. Um, yeah, the, which the, I don't, like to talk, don't really like to talk about. But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then quickly uh, quickly shuffled over to Colts um, the next year. Uh, I think it was mainly um, uh, the Miguels, um, yes. which Dad was good friends with. And... Um, shuffled over to Colts and uh, the rest of my career in Bunbury was, yeah, just, just through Colts. And were there, so you mentioned the Miggles and of course their name is just synonymous with the Colts Cricket Club. Were there other influences around that time um, that sort of you look back now and go, probably didn't realise it at the time, but played a big part in, in, in the development of your game? Uh, I think many influences throughout your career. Um, you know, if I think about those, you know, probably seven or eight years playing going through the ranks at Colts, you know, you can think of, um, you know, endless people, you're mainly your teammates really because you're, you're constantly learning off your teammates through, you know, through their successes and through their failures. Um, you know, I think of when I first started playing first grade for Colts, I think of, um, you know, Ian Prosser, um, the likes of, uh, is it Justin Riley, I reckon? Justin yeah, Riley, Justin Riley, um, yeah, Riles. Troy. Yep. Troy was um, Wilson. Troy Wilson. Wilson was banging runs out for fun. Um, yeah, you know, I, was, I was lucky to play around a lot of senior players. Um, yes, which is um, you know so valuable when you're a young player, just trying to soak up as much as you can. Yeah, well, you've rattled off three goodies there, and Pross is still going around and uh, joining the likes of a few of us in the in the state fifties teams these years. Okay. So uh, he's still going along old Pross. He's, he's, he's an absolute ripper. He's a, a legend of Bunbury cricket or WA regional cricket, really, when you look at it. Um, so when you kind of um, made it into the first team at Colts, Colts obviously being a very strong team over a long period of time, did you ever have any thoughts that 
you could go further at that point or was it a case of like, you know, oh, I just, you know, I think I can do all right in, in, in country cricket and that's where I'm going to leave it or was there always a desire to take it to the next level? Yeah, there was always a desire. Um, I think ever since I started playing cricket, I knew, uh, you know, I always had that goal of playing for Australia, playing for Western Australia. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a desire there. Playing uh, Bunbury first grade at such a young age, I think I was um, 12, uh, 12 or 13. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, I think it's, um, you know, I compare myself to some guy, a lot of guys that play school cricket in Perth, um, that, you know, you're constantly playing against guys your age, but I think um, so valuable playing against men. Um, well, I found that at a young age because, um, you know, with men, when you're a young kid coming into a team, they, if you're on the opposition, they're not taking it easy on you. They're, no. if anything, they're going to go harder at you because, you know, they're going to prove that, you know, you're not ready to do this and stuff like that. Um, so I found playing against men at such a young age, um, you know, I feel like it's really held me in good stead. Uh, you know, when I, first came up to Perth, you know, held me in better stead and, you know, right through, you know, when you first play uh, first-class cricket, I feel like it's, um, yeah, it's done wonders for me. It's interesting you say that and it's a really relevant point right at the moment in discussions that we have regularly here in WA Country Cricket and that is we have our high-performance programs and we, we definitely celebrate that and we've got those starting to creep into more and more of the regions. Down here in the southwest, we've got the, the cricket development program which has been going really successfully. But funnily enough, even with all that high-performance practice and work, a lot comment that you can't you really see a kid, say a 15 or 14 year old, really grow up when they're thrust into first or second grade playing, say in the BDCA, for example, or down in Bustledon. That's when you really see that they come to understand because they're playing against a lot of guys who clearly haven't necessarily played to the level you have, for instance, but uh, they're, they're pretty serious cricketers and they want to have a real, you know, red-hot crack and they're, they're not going to stand by and watch a 14 no, or 15-year-old exactly. come and take their mantle. So it's interesting you say that and I think that's that's a conversation that will continue to, to grow in WA regional cricket, the value of that. And certainly I know up in the Midwest I've heard guys say that, you know, once a kid hits 12 or 13, a young boy, or now with our women's competition as well, they're some of them are ready to go, you know, to play a, a higher level um, in, in that local competition. So interesting yeah, comments. Yeah, well, I think, I think there's a balance as well. You know, there's, you know, there's huge value in playing against men, but there's also, you know, huge value in um, also playing representative stuff or playing against, you know, the yeah. right age group. Um, but, yeah, I, I certainly think playing against men at a young age um, has held me in good stead. Uh, you know, one thing we talk about... Um, is, you know, these guys who dominate junior cricket, you know, 17s and 19s, most of them dominate because they're bigger and stronger, really. Um, yeah. And it's when they come up against, play against men, you know, how yep. all their techniques hold up and, um, you know, once they're under pressure and, uh, you know, they're so used to having things go their way, but, you know, once yep. things um, don't go their way, how are they going to bounce back? So, um, yeah, I, I, huge value playing against men. So before too long, just looking back over your country record, um, you know, by the late 2000s, you were already starting to, to dominate in the, uh, I won't say dominate, but do really, really well at a local level. And, and then you were moving towards, obviously gravitating towards playing cricket in Perth with Rocky Mandra. Yeah. Um, uh, this is my take on it, yeah. But before that, I, I was interested, um, one thing that I think a lot of country 
players, listeners to this podcast or whatever may not know, and that is you did have a season with the WA Country 11 and in particular the tournament for the Australian Country Cricket Championships mm. in 2011. So I'm interested, uh, It's a you know, for, for many of us in WA Country Cricket, that's a famous tournament. You know, it's talked about a lot. Do you have many memories of that particular tournament? The Bunbury um, National Carnival, yeah. That yeah, was, um, yeah. You know, I was lucky because I was, you know, playing in Perth at the time. Uh, I think you could have two players from the country yep. that are, you know, playing in Perth. So I was lucky to be one of them. And, um, yeah, fond memories of that trip in Bunbury. Um, amazing. We played some amazing cricket. Um, and to think, you know, there was a chance. Of, I don't think we lost a game, but to think there was a chance we were not going to win the trophy at the end was amazing. And then, you know, that last um, that last day, that last game, needing to win outright and then... Um, you know, needing four for last ball and gets uh, launched for six. Um, but <laughs> Ross Noel, wasn't it? Um, Ross Noel, yeah. You know, I also I got a pair that game as well. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to bring that that's up. That's my I first did, and I only did. pair. But um, touch wood. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't going to bring that one up. <laughs> but oh, look, at the end of the day, you know, who cares if you get a pair when you get to win a, um, you know, you get a winner trophy. Um, yeah. You know, that was a special feeling. Uh, you know, first, my first taste of, you know, winning a trophy representing WA. Um, yep. So yeah, uh, special feeling. So before we sort of move to the the next phase of where where you've landed, I'm I'm really keen to sort of explore a bit more about. Do you, you know, I pose this question to on on a number of occasions to different guests I've had on. I think I threw it at Joey Angel and a few other people. When when somebody from say if you're travelling playing overseas or whatever says, "Where are you from?" Do you count Bunbury as being somewhere you say, yeah, I'm from Bunbury, or do you now do you, <laughs> do you, do you roll out Yorkshire, or what, where, where's home for you? I generally just say WA, but um, oh, look, I, I I count myself as a Perth local now. Um, yes. Well, yeah, the thing is, when about ten years ago, I reckon, um, Dad moved back to England, Mum. Um, Mum moved up to Perth, so I sort of don't really have many connections in Bunbury anymore. I've still got um. You know, still got a couple of good friends um, play down at Coles Cricket Club, um, which we keep in touch. But, you know, I sort of lost my connection to Bunbury. But um, yep. having said that, I'm, you know, super proud to have grown up in Bunbury, um, you know, to play, um, you know, play for Colts, play for Bunbury, um, you know, play for country cup, country carnivals, you know, um, yep. all the country weeks, Um you know, that's another thing that I was really lucky growing up in Bunbury. You get to play a lot of, you get to play a lot of cricket. Um, mm. You know, where in Perth I think you're quite limited, but in Bunbury, you know, you're playing for your club, you're playing for your association. You know, you think of going to Peel carnivals and stuff like that. Um, yeah, very lucky to grow up in Bunbury. So, just sticking with the growing up in Bunbury theme and outside of cricket. So, one brother and is yep. that it? That's yeah, one younger simple? brother, yeah. Alex. Yeah. Yep. Alex, yeah. And um, Alex, for those who don't know, um, we'll call it out, is is also going all right, uh, doing all right with the White, as the Whiteman brothers do. And he's part of a band that's going places. I listened to some of their music only a couple of nights ago and th- thought, yeah, I can get into this. Great Gable. If you, you haven't uh, tuned in on iTunes or whatever, make sure you go and have a listen to, to Great Gable. I think they're over east at the moment doing a bit of a tour and doing all right. So uh, that's... Um, 
Sam's brother. I was interested, Sam, I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to be interested to see how you, you go with this one. I did a bit of, bit of research. I was interested to see on, on the internet, as only you can find these days, there was a, an interview done with all the band members and the band members actually interviewed each other. Okay. And so I want to read this to you. This is Matt, who's the lead guitarist of Great Gable, is interviewing your brother, Alex. And he poses this question. He says, Alex, your brother is a well-known cricketer and you're a well-known rock and roll star. Do you think you're a better cricketer than he is? And who is mum and dad more proud of? Now, this is Alex's reply. Now, to me, this sounds like Alex is standing at first slip and is sledging you while you walk out to bat. I'm just going to call it out. So Alex says... Well, I hope I'm a better cricketer than Sam is a musician because I actually played cricket and Sam's guitar has sat in his case for a long, long time. He definitely used to smash me in a game of backyard cricket, though. However, Mum's Instagram bio says... Al is number one son. I think that says it all. So I, I don't know. You got the chance for a bit of a retort here to, to Alex, I reckon. Number one, is the guitar still in the case or have you been cranking that out a bit more since uh, Alex has been prodding that one? No, it's not in the case. It's, uh, it's at his house. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I bought it back in, uh, um, you know, five or six years ago with, um, you know, classic uh, try to pick away at it for six months and... Um, Realised my fingers were getting sore and um, sat in a case for a while and then eventually Alex asked for it. So um, it's been at his house the last couple of years. <laughs> but is getting obviously, played. Obviously you're not uh, sort of planning on auditioning for Great Gable anytime soon then, I'm guessing. No, not a chance. Um, <laughs> no, not a chance. But obviously very proud of your brother and what they're doing and, and uh, certainly, like I say... For those who are tuning in and you think this is just a cricket podcast, it, it is, but I'd recommend you also jump on and have a listen to Great Gable. They've got some good music, really seriously good music. So um, I'm sure you'll get a chance to have a crack back at him at some stage about that comment <laughs> uh, that's floating around there on the internet. When you um, when you sort of, you mentioned you were, played that tournament in 2011 with the Country 11, but you'd already sort of moved into Perth cricket. The move was to Rock, Rockingham Mandra. Did you kind of feel as though straight away you were at the right level, you know, where you're ready to go or was there, there's some learning to, to take going into the Premier cricket scene? We've got a lot of specially talented 15, 16, 17-year-olds throughout regional WA at the moment. I think it's probably the most talented group we've had that I can remember in a long time. So it'd be, I think it'd be interesting for some of them to hear your thoughts on going into the Premier cricket scene and how you found that. Yeah, I felt like I was sort of uh, ready to jump jump into um, Wacker Premier cricket. Um, you know, I think I was 15 when I started travelling up and it, it was purely play. I started with the 17s and um, 17s in the morning and then I'd start in the third grade in the afternoon. Um which was some long days, but as a kid, you're just absolutely loving it. Um, so you were travelling up at this stage from yeah, Bunbury and back? Yeah, travelling yeah. up. Um, you know, Brett Whitaker was a huge influence. Um, he was the coach of Rockham Andrew at the time and also living in Bunbury, which, um, you know, his mentorship for those four or five years was huge. Um, and then also a huge commitment from mum and dad driving me up, um, you know, to uh, Rockham twice a week for training and then plus weekends, you think of... Yeah, uh, eight o'clock starts in, well, Rocky and best case scenario, you're leaving at, you know, your five o'clocks. Um, so, yeah, a huge I'm commitment. Guessing, 
I'm guessing the Joondalup trip would have been one you <laughs> wouldn't have wanted to, to look forward to. <laughs> that might have been a you know, stay up the night before, I reckon. Um, but, yeah, I think jumping into prim, uh, Wacker Cricket, yeah, I, I think I was ready. Um, and it's sort of that year, it sort of happened really quickly. Like, as I said, mm. I started in the threes and found myself in the ones at the end of the year. Um, and I pulled that mainly down to uh, timing. You know, Rockingham was um, you know, a club that sort of struggled for numbers at the time. Um, also, wicket-keeping, um, you know, wicket-keeping got me into a lot of teams, I think. Um, you know, I think of playing first grade for Colts at 12, you know, I was batting 10. Um, yep. You know, I was like an old-school Rod Marsh, um, even before <laughs> Rod, um, you know, I was batting 10. Um, and then same thing with Rockingham when I first started, um, you know, I think first game I was batting 10 as well. Um, so, yeah, wicket-keeping got me got me into the team um, and hugely valuable playing, you know, tough, hard cricket at uh, such a young age. Yeah. So funnily enough, mentioning Rod Marsh, and obviously we're, we're still kind of mourning his passing in recent times and mentioned Warney a couple of times of recent times in, in recent podcasts. Were there any of the likes of Rod Marsh or Adam Gilchrist or whatever at that time noticing your wicket-keeping or were you sort of aspiring to be, you know... Perhaps you know watching Gilly play or whatever, aspiring to be somebody like that, or were you just going about your own business? Uh, you always have idols as a young player. You know, Gilly was huge. Yeah, um, his wicket keeping and um, you know the way he used to entertain with the bat. Um, so I always always loved uh, watching Gilly. He used to have the the orange gloves and the green gloves, whatever yeah. was the flavour of the summer. Um, and, and then as I as I've gone on through throughout cricket, I've been very lucky. Um, to have some very good wicket-keeping coaches. Did, um, you know, done some stuff with Brad Haddon, um, yeah, Ian Healy, um, a little bit with Gilly. So um, I've been very fortunate to um, to work with some of the likes of those, yeah. It's probably, you know, just di- digressing for a moment, it's possibly one of the challenges that we have in WA country cricket still to this day is that we're, we're able to attract some pretty high-level coaches when it comes to bowling and certainly batting. Wicket-keeping, I think, is something that's still a little bit behind here in mm. regional cricket, so regional WA cricket at times, and you, we're probably not seeing the quality of w, uh, of, of uh, wicket-keepers coming through that maybe we should be. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear your recollections of what, what happened when you sort of moved to Perth. So there's obviously some influences even within Rockingham Mandra that, that helped you through that process and got you going. When, was it... Am I, have I got it right? When did you debut or when did you start playing first grade um, in Perth? Was that 2010, 11? Uh, so it would there? have been, uh, I was 15, so 15 years ago. Um, yeah, so a so bit, bit earlier than yeah. that, about 2007, yeah. 8. Yeah, yeah, okay, right, eh? And according to, I jumped onto ESPN and had a bit of a look at your, uh, your, your stats <laughs> and stuff like that. By 2011, 12, obviously you were starting to really attract some attention and I see you made your first class first class debut for WA against Victoria in 2012-13. So it, was it on the back of your wicket-keeping predominantly or were you making lots of runs and sort of caught it, the attention both ways, do you think? Uh, it sort of ebbed and flowed. I think, you know, when I first started playing first grade in Perth, um, started doing, uh, did quite well. Um, and then, you know, things like you start putting pressure on yourself and, um, you know, you, I was, um, you know, desperate to get a contract and I used to um, put all my time into 
performing on the weekends and um, I'd end up putting so much pressure on myself that I just, you know, there was no chance I was going to perform. Um, so I had a couple of rough years. Um, one thing I'm always grateful for with Rockingham is they um, they didn't throw me up the deep end straight away. You know, I spent a lot of years batting between sort of six, seven. Um, you know, even though I wanted to get up the top order, they sort of, you know, let me learn my craft a little bit down the order. Um, took the pressure off myself a little bit, and then um, and then yeah, so sort, of, sort of started to find my form. Um, yeah, you know, the the reason I first got contracted was through my wicket keeping. Yeah, I was the um, I was a spare wicket keeper in the squad. So the, the selection, the the selection for the game in two thousand and twelve thirteen against Victoria mm. was predominantly as a keeper, um, and yet I noticed you opened the batting <laughs> in that match. How, yeah. Did that, was that intentional or how did that work? That was, um, it was a crazy time for Western Australian cricket. Uh, it was before Justin Langer, had, I think he took over, uh, I think a few weeks later after that game. Um, right. So I think that was the last game uh, Lockie Stevens was coach. Um, and there'd just been a, a, a number of things building over the past six months. And um, uh, that was my first year on contract. And I, um, you know, I, I just, you know, something clicked. I, I didn't have any pressure on myself. I was just stoked to be. Tra- I was like, I'm getting paid to to train with the Warriors. How good is this? And I was, um, you know, that's how I played. Um, where I think a lot of players these days, you can easily put too much pressure on yourself because you you know you're getting paid to play cricket and stuff like that. But um, I just found myself in some good form, and um, you know, funnily enough, uh, Sean Marsh got dropped for me, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I came in to open the batting and. Um, you know, suddenly I was walking out to bat at the uh, MCG facing, um, you know, Peter Siddle and uh, James Pattinson steaming in. So it was a bit of an eye-opener. Bit of an eye-opener. Well, you did you did pretty good in your first innings, 29 off 79 balls, and you batted for 99 minutes. Mm. So you definitely hung in there. We won't go too deep into how the second innings stoked out for you on that one, but... Um, you always want to get your first duck out of the way early. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... Didn't seem to be a glorious four balls that you faced in that innings, <laughs> but anyway, um, we, we re- so were you a lock after that? Do you feel, or was it a, was there a period of time where you, you knew you were going to be a little bit in and out, and you had to sort of fight for your spot, that sort of thing, for a while? Um, well, we went back to the whacker the following week, and I um, I think I slid down a three, and um, you know didn't didn't score many runs, um, and then we had one more game before the big bash, um, and that's when JL took over. We went down to Tassie and we we had a shocker. We we won the toss and batted and we were all out before lunch. They piled on the runs. I got a duck in the first innings and, you know, all these sort of doubts creep in. And then in the second innings in Tassie, um, you know, I scored uh, 97, you know, and batted for a fair chunk, batted with Adam Voges for a long time. Um, we ended up getting smashed, but, um, you know, just to, I guess that sort of proved to myself that I was, you know, good enough to play that level. Um, yep. And then, you know, we had a couple of months off. I had a couple of months off because I wasn't contracted for the, for the Scorchers. Um, and then we came back in February and then I was keeping. Um, and then I don't reckon I missed a game for four or five years. Yeah, absolutely. You had a real, real solid run from what I can see there. I, I don't sort of, as I mentioned in our preamble before we went, uh, went, went live with this, you know, I don't want to, 
focus too much on the length of your, your career playing for WA. Obviously, this is a, a country podcast, but some of the insights that you're giving into, uh, especially your, your, your first moments playing in Perth cricket are really important to a lot of kids, I think, who might be tuning in right now who are going, you know, they're a bit nervous about how it's all going to play out. The reality is it, 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 it would be tough, I guess. You know, there, there would have been a period there where you would have questioned are you up for it? And and, and it takes a, a while to settle into that level of cricket, I'm guessing, having not played it, but I'm guessing. Yeah, it's, um, oh, look, once you, when you first start playing for any team, it's a delicate time, isn't it? Because you're, you know, you're trying to work out, you know, am I good enough? Um, you know, how long, how long a crack am I going to get here? Um, yeah, luckily, you know, luckily I was in a good headspace where, um, you know, pressure wasn't really a thing um, because, yep. you know, Throughout my career, the, when you're in form slumps and, you know, it's all pressure really and it's pressure you put on yourself. Um, yeah, uh, I think another instance when I was, um, you know, I was really close to playing for Australia and I was really yep. aspiring to do that, I'd, I'd focus on that. I was focusing on, you know, playing playing for Australia and I forgot to play for WA. Um, yeah. I put too much pressure on myself and, you know, my, my form really slumped. So I think it's, yeah, it's learnings throughout your career, but, you know, any, any time that I've really struggled is, is because of pressure and it's all pressure for myself. And just going back to those early days of playing for WA and certainly at Rockingham Mandra, am I right in saying there was also opportunity that was playing around in your mind from what, what I've heard and read that you could have actually flipped and potentially played for England or, or played in England and represented England? Was that, that a possibility? Have I read that right? Uh, well, I'm not sure it was really ever a possibility. I, I went and played um, played for Weybridge in, Eng- in the Surrey League uh, as soon as I turned 18, uh, one winter. And just, just through contacts with the club, uh, I've obviously got an English passport because I was born there. Um, they needed some players to fill in for some second 11 cricket, so uh, hand up and shot off and played some second 11 cricket. Um, and that, that's sort of all that really happened. I was, I was playing, I would have played three or four games. Um, there was no more talks. It was, you know, I was purely just playing cricket, wanting to play more cricket. And it was cool to play some four-day stuff. Um, yeah. And that was it. There was no talks about coming to England or anything. Um, you know, there might have been a couple of articles that, you know, didn't really you know, have much uh, truth behind it. But, um, <laughs> I was just going to say you might you might want to have a chat to the copywriters at ESPN because they're calling yeah. that out that you were you were touch and go as to whether you were going to play for England or for Australia. So no, well, I hadn't the, even the, you know I, I hadn't even spoken to Western Australia at that time. I was you know I was probably playing state under 19s and um, you know I was I was I was pumped to do that. So um, I've always wanted to you know play for Western Australia and, and play for Australia. So, so I'm glad you've raised about just going and playing some second grade stuff in 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 England because again, and it's only come up this morning in a in a meeting I was in where somebody asked me now that COVID is starting to settle down. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's settling down, but we're certainly able to travel a lot more. The question was, do, did I think a lot of our younger talent in WA regional cricket might start considering going back and spending a season in England? Um, I know I did it and it was I did it way too late. I was in my late 20s when I went. Yeah. Um, but I do know that 
my best cricket came for the 10 years after that. I, I, it changed the way I thought about the game. It changed the way that I certainly approach batting, for example. Um, do you, would you encourage that if, you, if we were, you know, had a 15, 16, 17-year-old, probably more like a 17-year-old right now listening to this mm. podcast in, out in the wheat belt or wherever, do you recommend a, a season in England? Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. Um, well, one, it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun going to England. Um, yeah. Their culture around cricket and culture in general is, you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, but you're right, I think you learn so much about your game, um, you know, playing in different conditions, um, you know, learning to adapt to that. Um, you know, the swinging ball, this ball swings yeah. a bit more, learning to adapt to that and, and that new challenge. Um, also, the pressure of being overseas, you know, a lot of clubs, England clubs expect you to perform. So um, how can you manage that and, and learn to deal with that? Um, and I guess it's just good for your social skills, meeting new people. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a no-brainer. And, um, yeah, I know um, COVID's probably put a back burner on the last few years, but, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful I did it at a young age, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's clearly my regret that I left it a bit late. <laughs> Having said that, for all the reasons you said, especially the social side and, and certainly even as somebody of my age in the late 20s, it, it, it kind of helped me grow up and, mm. and understand the world, really. Yep. It was uh, pretty amazing. I'll call out the fact that you talk about the conditions that I rocked up to into Huddersfield to play in the week. The weekend I rocked up to play my first match, it got abandoned due to snow. So, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get some different conditions to what you'd get here in uh, in regional WA, I reckon, <laughs> if you go over there. Definitely, yeah. Going, just just uh, starting to, like I say, we won't unpack all, all of your career because uh, even though I'd love to, but you're, uh, you're, you're a man who's got uh, a bit of a break happening at the moment. I don't want to eat into that too much. This is my opinion and certainly plenty of guys who are around here, we kind of feel as though you're still a, a big opportunity to, to reach that dream of playing for Australia. Are you still on that train in your, in your own mind? Yeah. You know, especially on the back yeah. of your season this year, yeah? Oh, I think, um, yeah, anyone playing state cricket would say they, they want to play. They want to play for Australia and I'm no different, um, you know, and getting, well, getting old in cricket terms, uh, 30. Um, but, oh, look, um, it's, it's definitely not a, um, a priority of mine now. I, so I think I've learned from my younger years that, um, you know, if, I, if I'm enjoying my cricket, um, you know, I'm focused on the now, focused on playing for WA, then, you know, chances are I'm going to do well and then you know, everything will look after itself. Um, but, you know, you look at the likes of, you know, Mike Hussey didn't play until he was 30. Um, yep. Adam Voges, I reckon, would have been 33, 34. So, um, yeah. oh, look, you never know. If, if you keep performing at whatever level, you never know what's what could come next. Well, based on playing the biggest game of the, the, the big dances, I guess we call it, the Sheffield Shield final, and you rock up with 85 and 123, a man of the match, I would think right here, right now, if you, uh, you aren't a walk-up start to an Australian opportunity very soon, I'll, I don't know who is. So uh, certainly you, you don't have to call that out, Sam, but we will. We, we re absolutely reckon you're ready to go. So we're fingers crossed and we'll certainly be enjoying that trip if that happens. Um, what was, if there was one thing, you know, through your career so far that you would class as your biggest challenge, 
what would it what it would be? I know you've had a few injuries and stuff mm. like that. Has there been things that have really kind of made you doubt whether you can continue to go on? Yeah, uh, plenty of challenges. I think yeah, finger injury that challenge that you know probably lasted um, a couple of years. Um, you know, and someone you know when I was in that position, I'd played you know five or six years straight, um, and to suddenly be injured and be not in the team, not travelling, you know, really struggled to deal with that um, and sort of lost my way a little bit, put on a lot of weight, uh, lacked motivation to train, um, you know, even thought about, um, you know, thought about just giving cricket away um, at, a, at a certain point. But um, definitely coming back from that, um, it was a challenge and, um, you know, super Super glad I did because um, you know I still love yeah. playing love playing cricket um, and you know want to do it as long as I can. And uh, I can hear the kids in the background. You've got <laughs> two two kids. Yeah, we've got a two and a three yeah. year old. Um, so you, they're locked inside. So um, <laughs> they're banging on the glass and all sorts. So uh, yeah, sorry. Come on, Dad. <laughs> let, let us on the podcast, Dad. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want that. They they got a bit of a starring role in some photos on the uh, on the Wacker the other week. I, I think I saw. So yeah, uh, no, that, um, it was cool to celebrate. Um, you know, celebrate with them and seeing them run around on the whacker and, um, you know, uh, have, a, have a few photos with the shield, um, you know, be pretty special pretty for special. me to look back on. Um, they probably yeah. won't give a, give a crap, but um, for me to, <laughs> for me to um, look back on in, you know, future years, it's, uh, you know, special. I think they'll hold that pretty special. I'm pretty confident of that. And I reckon somebody who probably was holding it pretty special was Grandad Rich in uh, over in England. I'm betting he was uh, loving every minute of it. So, um, yeah. And, and and your mum is in Perth yep. as well. So, yep. yeah, you've got got some support with the kids there, I'm guessing, with mum. And yep. um, I'm guessing Definitely. she's pretty proud. Yeah, yeah she son. is, yes. Um, Even though she's still rocking Alex out as number one. Oh, on I think, I think Alex, is, yeah. Alex is the favourite. Uh, <laughs> lives just down the road from mum's, um, you know, always popping in for, for teas and stuff like that. So Alex is definitely the favourite. Um, but no, mum's very supportive. She's, um, you know, she's always down on the whacker and uh, helping out with the kids. And, um, you know, dad obviously living in England is a bit tougher, but, um, you know, from my understanding is he's, uh, you know, during Shield game, he's up... Uh, uh, most of the night listening in and uh, watching him. Yeah, if he's not down at the soccer ground or roaring around on that motorbike of his. Uh, yeah. yeah, down at the pub, yeah, down at Tip Pub. Um, and your wife, um, she uh, a, a cricket tragic or is she uh, somebody who just is happy to go along for the ride? Or uh, I wouldn't sit? say she's uh, a cricket tragic, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I think it's a love-hate relationship, I reckon. Um, <laughs> But no, she's super supportive, um, you know, obviously throwing up some challenges. You know, I was away for, you know, seven weeks during the Big Bash uh, in Sydney. Yeah. So, you know, her having to cop the couple of kids for that long, um, you know, there's definitely some ups and downs of cricket. But, um, you know, also the, the coming home after a crap day at cricket or um, just super supportive and, uh, yeah, very thankful to, to her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it doesn't matter what level you're at. You know, we um, we we love our wives in particular when uh, when we we are struggling a bit and they put up with some stuff they probably shouldn't have to put up with. I remember my wife uh, once telling me not long after we'd started going out that if she saw me throw my bat one more time, that was it. That was the end of the relationship. So <laughs> I don't think I've thrown it ever since, which is probably yeah, um, yeah. So. Um, 
Talking of the move to Sydney, um, any sort of, you know, was there, without going into too much, was there an opportunity by moving to the Thunder? I mean, many of us had sat at the Wacker and watched your belt everybody around for the Scorchers. Was there, was it a case of just that was the right fit at the time? Or yeah, and still is, yeah, obviously. Yeah, um, it was sadly the Scorchers because so many um, amazing memories. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just the last three or four years with the Scorchers, it was, you know, a few injuries and a few, um, you know, just a lack of opportunity Um there was, you know, they recruited Jason Roy, uh, Liam Livingston, um, you know, Colin Munro, the top three. There was no chance I was going to crack crack it, um, and fair enough because they're all unbelievable players. Um, so yeah, Sydney just um, provided, a, you know, a, a fresh start. I guess um, uh, I've always played for, you know, WA, and I played for the Scorchers for eight eight years. So um, going to the Thunder was something new and exciting, and uh, it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably one of the things that we're all still still trying to work out as the BBL continues to grow out. I know we're at, what, BBL 10 or 11 or whatever it is now, but to see, you know, somebody who's played for as long as you have for WA or somebody like a Josh Phillippe rocking up for another, mm. what we still perceive to be a state doesn't, sometimes probably doesn't sit with everybody. But I guess that's the thing about the BBL that people are slowly starting to get an understanding and that it's it's not a state versus state. It's a, you know, it's an AFL-type scenario where it's more tribal, really. Mm. It's about the team you follow. It's not necessarily about the state. And I know I've, I've got plenty of mates here locally who don't necessarily follow the Scorchers, you know. They might follow the, the Stars or, or another team. So, yeah, it's an interesting evolution still for cricket. We're not quite there like football, which is mm. that 100 odd years of it, I suppose. Yeah. Did you did you feel right at home with with the Thunder once you rocked up there? And is that the plan to stay there for a few years or at this stage? That's the plan, yeah. Uh, it was a different experience. Um, I did feel, uh, you know, you feel well. I felt welcomed by the Thunder. Um, you know, a really nice bunch of guys. Um, but I was just trying to, um, yeah, just trying to soak it up, I guess. Living in living in Sydney for a couple of months was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Really enjoyed that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I found it strange at the same time. Um, you know, I'd played eight years for the Scorchers and, um, you know, moving to a new team, just because you're playing for that team, you know, I found it hard to watch the Scorchers at times because, like, you know, almost felt sometimes I was still quite attached to the Scorchers. Um which is which is understandable, but um, yeah, loved. Uh, I love playing playing for the Thunder. Um, had a rough luck with some COVID COVID stuff, and ended up missing probably half the tournament. So um, hopefully next year serves me better. Well, as we move into the back end of this, because as I said, I don't want to uh, eat too much into your valuable the, the crazy life you live for most of the year and you get a small break and a dude like me rocks along and <laughs> says can you join us on a country podcast I don't want to eat too much into your, your time Sam and again just feel very honoured that you would join us and share your, share your journey with us for WA regional cricket in particular we have a I have a little thing at the end of each uh, episode of Out on the Paddock which we call the super over which is I'm just going to throw six deliveries at you I don't think, I can't remember, I don't reckon I ever got to bowl against you down in Harvey or in Bunbury or whatever, but uh, I definitely remember you playing a few games um, before you moved to Perth. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of going to change this up because no good me bowling to you because you're just going to belt every ball out of the paddock. Um, 
So my, my son, Nathan, who is the producer of this show, came up with an idea that I hope you'll run with for this particular yep. episode of The Super Over. What we're going to do is I'm going to deliver six deliveries to you. You need four to win off each of the deliveries because each of the deliveries is going to be from a different bowler. And what we're hoping you might be able to do for us is describe what's going through your mind as that bowler comes into bowl, how you're setting up and where you're guessing or most likely thinking that that bowler is going to bowl or the type of delivery they're going to bowl to you. Okay, so that's that's a... I can hear a few of my mates going, cheapers, that's way too uh, <laughs> over-described there, Rob. But anyway, that's how I'm going to stroke with it because that's how my son sort of unpacked it to me. Thanks, Nathan. Um, so the first bowler, you've got four to win. It's the last ball of the over. And the first, the bowler who's coming in to bowl is actually somebody who's a teammate of yours now, but I'm sure you've faced him at the Scorchers, Daniel Sams. What's going through your mind? How, how are you setting up for Daniel Sams? We'll assume that they've got the field at placed appropriately what, what are you mm. thinking he's gonna what's what's Daniel Sam's gonna throw at you for me uh, the amount of um, research that goes into big bash games by the bowling coaches and the bowlers they they really do their research and they know they know where to bowl um, to each batsman and so if, if I was facing Daniel Sam's last ball um, fair chance he would be taking the pace off the ball he wouldn't want to give me any pace um, He'd look to bowl into the wicket, and he'd probably have his his you know three or four men out on the leg side. Um, so I'd be trying to trying to sit deep um, and set up for the slow ball, and um, yeah, and and try and shoot it straight. Um, and then you're naturally going to react if if the ball's pace on. So these days, the modern day cricketer, you've got to be thinking any potential shot are you thinking is it is it in your repertoire to be thinking a switch hit or a, you know a, a lap or a, a ramp or something like that mm. is that something that you're now practiced for and are ready for if it comes to it yeah it's something I've um, practiced probably the last year is uh, ramping um, yeah, especially batting up the top it's you know it's the shortest way shortest way home isn't it to get a boundary yes. or you know if there's pace on you can get a six um, so you know, I was, I've been a little hesitant, it's a bit, I guess, stubborn in my, well, I'm not too old, but in my old age that uh, I never really want to be, never really want to play a reverse sweep or um, a ramp, but I've adapted with the times and, um, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely worked on a ramp. Yeah, okay, all right. So there's a good chance you you might be thinking of that with Daniel Sam. So the second ball of this crazy over is not bowled by Daniel Sam's. We'll, we'll call it, it's the... One of the final balls of an over, and I'm just sort of making this up, it's it's kind of maybe being bowled in Canberra, BBL final 2015 <laughs> that's coming from Brett Lee. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that delivery. Obviously, for those who don't know, the Scorchers what, needed one to win at that point. Yeah, one to win from two balls. Um, yep. Wicket the ball before. Nathan Coulton, I'll try to ramp, ramp one, which... Um, didn't go down too well in the sheds when he got bowled, um, and then yeah, to be honest, it was a it was a blur. Um, I just uh, remember walking out and yeah, uh, clearly wasn't thinking clearly, um, and it all happened so quickly. Um, Brett Lee was bowling around the wicket, and I tried to give myself a bit of room and sort of hit it through, or I guess over mid off sort of coverish area, um, and. Canberra wicket's not bouncing terribly too much. The stumps were destroyed. Um, 
which is, yeah, end of the day, we, we won next ball, which was special. Um, I regret. I'm guessing a bit of a relief as well. Oh, was a it? huge relief, yeah, because yeah, we, um, you know, we should have won, and we nearly, yeah. you know, super overs. Anything can happen. Um, you know, it was pretty. Not not every day you get to hit the winning runs in the big bash. So I'm, I was feeling about that. Um, but then I was also, you know, a fun trivia fact is I was Brett Lee's last ever professional wicket. So I'll um, I'll cough it. Claim that. I'll cough it. Yeah. yeah. Claim that one, absolutely. And the next part of the trivia is who did hit the winning run. And I don't reckon many will toad out Yasser Arafat. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's who did it. Oh, I think it's the only run he made for the season. <laughs> Probably. <it>? Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's the second ball of the delivery. Sorry to throw that one. You just throw you under <laughs> the bus with that one. Um, I think many of us, you don't have to comment on this because you don't, you know, it's not appropriate maybe, but many of us are absolutely rocked by the omission of this player from the the, um, the Australian squad, Jai Richardson. Uh, I think many of us are staggered. Jai's coming into bowl to you, one of these deliveries that we've been talking about. What's what's Jai bowling, do you think, in a, in, in a ball, a, a delivery like that? Uh, well, Jai is a tough one because he, um, he thinks outside the box and... Um, you know, will often do things that you're least expecting, which, you know, partly makes him such a good bowler, um, especially when you can bowl at, you know, 145, 150. Um, he's also very small. Like, uh, he'd be shorter than me, um, you know, which gives him gives him a difference. Um, also, his bounce is so skinny, so, like, it, it's really mm. tough to play. Um, mm. uh, Richo's Yorkers are excellent. I'd be surprised mm. if he if he didn't do anything other than that. But um, oh yeah, Richo out of the Aussie squad, I, I think it's temporary. Um, you see these days, you can you play a couple of games and you're straight on the contract list anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure he's spewing about it. But you know, in the big picture, I don't think it really means means much. And plenty of time on his hands. He's still fairly young, so um, yeah, the quality quality bowler. And like you say, I think. From my perspective, the Scorchers are a whole different side when he is playing, you yeah. know, because yeah. of those deliveries that you just, just described. All right, move on to the, the fourth ball of the over. We'll go from one end of the spectrum, a young bloke to a real old bloke, Dan Christian. What's what's Dan coming in to bowl at Sam Whiteman in, in, with a delivery like that? He always just bowls slow balls, doesn't he? He bowls <laughs> around the wicket slow balls. Um, no, nah, he. How, how, how is, so how is it that guys haven't worked that out? Because, you know, it's easy for us armchair critics to sit back, but you kind of sit there and go, you know he's going to bowl a slower ball every ball. Yeah, I know, yeah. He gets so many wickets. He does, yeah. <laughs> well, there's one yeah. thing, but you know he's going to bowl. There's another thing, being able to hit it for six because, you know, bowls are really slow. Um, you know, it's all right for these big boys to, you know, like Mitch Marsh, just needs twenty percent to hit it for six. You know, I need to get yeah. I need to get ninety five percent to hit it for six. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, he's a tough one to face. Um, I used to hate facing him in red ball as well. He um, just, he just has that knack of taking wickets. He, he still does in T Twenty cricket. Mm. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we're we're guessing that it's the, the slower ball from Dan. I've got to rock this one out because, and I can hear my mates who are listening to this going, yeah, you're doing the head wobble again, Rob. But <laughs> a few weeks ago, I got to go to the Warney Memorial um, at the MCG and then just through circumstances, won't go into it, but ended up at, back at a bar standing next to having a beer with James Faulkner. 
And uh, I asked him at the time, what delivery would you bowl to Sam White? <laughs> so he's already given me the answer to this one. So I'm interested to hear how, uh, how you reckon James Faulkner would come in and, and send one down to you. Uh, well, if he's got a new rock in his hand, he'll just try and swing it away and nick me off. And then he was in red ball. He was quite skillful. He, um, you know, he'd he'd shape him away, um, and then he'd just bowl a wobble scene that sort of angled into the lefty. Um, and he, you know, if you're playing for that swing, you sort of head falls across, and you sort of come across your front pad, and you get LBW. Um, so, oh look, if we're talking red or white ball, um, red ball, I'm just going to go slow ball. Uh, sorry, white ball, I'm going to go slow ball. Red ball, he's going to try and hit me on the front pad, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> which he's done a couple think, of times. I'm thinking you guessed right. I reckon he was uh, referencing your front pad <laughs> the other week. But anyway, well, no, I won't. I won't go into detail with that one because I reckon you'd uh, you'd knock it out of the ground. So I can just picture him saying it as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the last ball. This is it. This is the one that either wins the uh, win, wins the title for the Thunder or or not. Well, in actual fact, I'm going to take you back. You're going to go. This is a ball you're going to face in the early 2000s. So we're going back a few years. It's a really important delivery. It's about to be bowled. You need to not only hit it out of the ground, but you need to hit it into the next door neighbours because you're facing Richard Whiteman. <laughs> what's uh, what's Richard Whiteman bowling to you in the back in the backyard back in the early two thousands? Well, I reckon his shoulder would have been a little bit better then because um, you know these days it's all he constantly whinges about is is how buggered his shoulder is from throwing balls to me. Um, he still says I owe him a couple of shoulder surgeries. <laughs> um, nah, he bowls, he bowls his uh, disgusting, loopy off spin. Um, it's too hard to hit. It's that slow. It, it, I can guarantee you that. I can remember. I, believe it or not, I can, I've got visual memories of playing against Rich round about that time in the early 2000s or late 90s when we had the Harvey Leshenault Cream Association mm, yep. and he was playing for Leshenault or actually he was playing, I think he was playing for a team called Collie Bridge at the time. And Did they play at Eaton? Remember, that, they played yeah, Eaton's played ground. At Eaton. yeah, I remember yeah, being yeah, there yeah. all the time, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and they also um, would come down to Harvey. But we didn't have a turf wicket going at, at this particular point in my memory. So we were playing at this tiny ground at the Harvey Primary School and Rich is bowling these little, like you say, these little loopy off spinners and I'm jumping down the wheel. I'm looking like an idiot because I just couldn't hit them. <laughs> you just could you know, this ground, we're talking a boundary probably about 45 metres and do you reckon yeah. we could hit it over it? Rich is just knocking us over, no. these little loopy offies. They're so, that yeah. slow that I reckon if you run down the wicket and miss it, you're a chance to get get back before the keeper takes the bars off. I reckon you're right. I reckon that might have happened, actually. So, um, well, Sam, I'm going to let you go because your kids are definitely looking to to spend the rest of what's left of the afternoon with Dad. Mate, we really, really appreciate you spending some time with us out on the paddock today. Um, In particular, just want to call out that, you know, I think all of us in regional WA cricket were super proud of what you did, especially on the Wacker a couple of a month or so back. Um, I, I, we genuinely, many of us, hope that you still do harbour the, 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 the endeavours of Plan for Australia because we'd love nothing better to claim a, a Colts cricket club boy from Bunbury as uh, pulling on the baggy green. So... Mate, uh, all the best for the future. Um, all of us in regional WA cricket love watching you play and, um, yeah, we'd love to maybe have you back again sometime down the track. Absolutely. All right, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time, Sam. Cheers, mate.